you should be a monster. Because everyone says, well, you should be harmless. You don't want to be too aggressive. You don't want to be too assertive. You want to take a back seat. No. You should be a monster. And then you should learn how to control. 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 Hey everyone, thanks for joining us as we crack open another episode of the Undisclosed Agents podcast. Today we're going to be talking to John. John began his career in public safety in 2002. He's worked in high call volume systems in California, Texas, and Nevada. He's got experience in private EMS, volunteer, combination, and career firefighting departments that have fallen in the urban, rural, and suburban settings. He currently holds the rank of battalion chief. He's a certified critical care paramedic, and he also helped develop the agency's first sworn LEO tactical medic team, serving as the Thames commander and SWAT team leader. In addition to his career in public safety, John has also served as a combat flight paramedic and a platoon sergeant with the U.S. Army. John has multiple deployments to Afghanistan. He's got a great resume, and he's an awesome guy to talk to. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. All right, John. Uh, good to see you, man. So uh, who are you? Tell us about yourself and uh, your journey that led you here today. I appreciate you guys having me. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'd like to think of myself as just a normal dude. Um, I've been fortunate to have uh, quite a few experiences, um, but, you know, uh, there's still too many people I look up to to, to think that my journey was really that special. Um, so, I, you know, I grew up in SoCal. I lived there for quite a few years and kind of bounced around uh, the nation with family. Uh, but when we really get into the meat and potatoes of it, um, in SoCal, I, I heard about this thing called an EMT, didn't know what it was. Uh, the guy I was working with at the golf course was like, Hey, you get to drive an ambulance. You only work three days a week. You make good money. And I'm like, that's dope. So, uh, took the class and actually kind of fell in love with medicine and kind of at that point realized, Hey, this is something I'm interested in. Um, all of that kind of coincided with, uh, with the nine 11 timeframe, um, being that I just graduated and was in college, <clears throat> it kind of all correlated that trying to find something to do that I felt meant something. Um, at that time I didn't have any military background or anyone to, to go that route, but, um, seeing what the firefighters did on, on that day, I was like, that's what I want to do. So fell in love with medicine, did that for a little bit. Um, and then I, uh, got the opportunity to go to paramedic school in Houston. Um, went out there, did that thing, super busy system, um, learned a ton as far as my skill set is becoming a paramedic. Um, and they have volunteer fire out there, uh, as well as career. So I, uh, got on with the volunteer department down the street just to try it out. And I was like, they sent me the fire Academy and I was like, this is awesome. So started working fire, um, and then got on full time there with a city department, and uh, was doing it. And then I uh, subsequently, after Katrina and Rita hurricanes, moved my family out here to. And that's where I've been ever since. Um, that's where I met you. Yeah. Your academy. So that's kind of just a nuts and bolts of like how I ended up here. There's a lot of different things along the way I'm sure we'll get into. But um, yeah, like I said, uh, I don't feel like my story's super unique, um, but I have had some unique experiences. So we'll get into, get into some of that and how that, I guess, relates to 
to the fire service and where we can, at least where I fit in, I feel with, uh, with the, with the fire service and the young guys that were, we're trying to get to, to that level. Well, I, I think it's interesting that you were so extremely humble because you say guys that you look up to, I know I'm one of them, but, um, <laughs> But uh, you were actually one of the guys that I look up to. So uh, you're, I understand that you're being humble, but your experiences are um, not only unique, but uh, heroic as well. And uh, we appreciate everything that you've done. So I appreciate that. One of the things when we were talking about uh, getting together and talking about this is uh, reading, when we send this out, right, I want a bio from you. And then I want some topics that you want to talk about, because this is you, you're the guest, even though we add into it, you're, you're really the reason why we're here and reading your, and we've talked about this before. When you say to yourself, if I grab some kid off the street, right. And I said, Hey kid, tell me what, what job do heroes do? Right. And I know you're going to hate this because you've hated it before. When we talk about it. I say, what job do heroes do? They're going to tell you three things. Any kid you ask, one kid might say an astronaut, but he's probably a nerd. Um, but you're going to hear three things. You're going to hear fireman, police officer, or military. And to have a guy like you who holds all three of those job titles is super interesting. I mean, I'm sure it's been a rough ride for your family because you're a busybody. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, you've had your, your irons in the fire like everybody else that's that's engaged. But to be engaged in three different extreme arenas like that is super impressive. And that's why we wanted to have you on here. Um, when I sent you out the topics, I said, hey, give me three topics you want to talk about. And we'll list them in order of importance to you. And if we get to all of them, we get to all of them. If we don't, we don't. The first one you sent me, though, was mindset. And I thought... What a great starting point for a guy like you who's had to balance not just a, an aggressive mindset in one discipline, but multiple disciplines. So let's start there and let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like you said, I, I've had experience in the fire service as a law enforcement officer and in the, in the military. And so when I talk about mindset, I guess it's, um, for me, the reason that I guess I was successful in all these is that my mindset has always been to what, where can I make an impact? Uh, where do I fit into making an impact in whatever I'm doing right now? And then when I figure that out, that's kind of my, you know, like you say, I'll nerd out on it and what can I be doing right now? That's going to make me better so that I fit in with this team or that I can that make this team better. Um, and then once I'm doing that, it's like constantly is, it's just a constant set of, what am I doing that is going to improve the operation today? And what do I need to do either to build up my team, build up myself to be a better part of the team? Um, and then it's just, it just never ends. It's exhausting. To, like you say, you bring up my family. <laughs> uh, doing all three at the same time was super fun. But me, like, as I'm not doing those things now, I realize like how exhausting it was to maintain that for so long. Um, but I think that's what it requires. No matter if you're doing multiple disciplines or just one is you have to be, you got to be focused on what you're trying to accomplish. And I think to be successful, you almost have to, to commit your life to that trade or what you're doing. Um, and so that kind of leads into, well, how do you prepare your mind to start doing the job, whatever that may be, how do you prepare your mind during the job? And then it really starts to break down as to how do you prepare your mind for critical incidents? Um, and I think it all starts, um, like I said, 
why are you, what your, why finding your, why, right? Why do you want to do this? And it could be anything for anybody. It could be because it looks cool. Cause I want to help the community. We hear it all in the interviews and, and everybody has their own why, but if you have a strong enough, why then it helps to build the mindset to, okay, this is where, what I need to do because I feel strongly about whatever it is that I'm trying to do. Um, and so for me, my mindset is, like I said, trying to constantly improve and, 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 and critique myself as to what am I doing good? What am I need to do better? Finding role models that I look up to and say, well, th- this guy's awesome. What, what is he doing? Why is he so good at what he does? And then what do I need to do? Um, and I think now it seems to be so much easier to find find your why and find people to look up to and be like, wow, okay, I'm going to kind of steal their, what they did to be successful. But back when I started, we didn't really have that. Um, you could read books, there was YouTube. Um, but for me, it was like finding guys that I worked with that I was like, wow, this guy's been doing what I want to do for a long time and he's good at it. So what are you, how did you do that? And we've had guys in our department as well. You know, the guys like Jim White, we were like, how's this guy been so good for so long? So you got to start diving into what are these people doing? I think that's just genetics, man. He's just born with it. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely, yeah, there's some people that have the genetics for sure. But those of us that don't, you're trying to figure out how do I, how do I get there? Cause I don't know nothing about nothing. How do I get there? Um, and so for me, uh, working in Houston, I had, was fortunate that they get a lot of jobs. So the guys that I'm learning from have a lot of experience and I didn't have YouTube to, um, you know, listen to podcasts or things that wasn't a thing then. So the only real way that you learned how to do the job was from the, the journeyman, the senior guy, the captain, the guys that have been doing it. And it was passing, it was a passing of the trade. Um, and that's how you learned. And it was on the job training. Um, now it's a little bit of both. Um, but that's how I learned was from guys that have been doing it and, and was like, okay, they're still doing great. Um, this is what I need to do. And that was early on. Um, and then as I got older, it was like, okay, now I can start challenging the status quo and say, are we doing it the best way? Um, cause that's again, that mindset of how do I, how do I improve or now I'm good enough and we're doing a decent job, but how do I make it better? And that's how my mind's always worked is, and I've probably pissed a ton of people off that I've worked with or worked for, cause I'm always trying to figure out what's better. I'm not trying to put, um, any hate on, what we've always done. So if somebody tells me this is how we've always done it. I'm like, that's awesome. Now, how do I build on what you've always done? And some people don't like that, but that's how I operate is, okay, this is what we're doing. What can we do next? How can I improve the product? Um, yeah, I, I can say from, from working with you for years now, uh, you know, me and you right when you came into the department we work for currently, I, uh, I've noticed that about you since the day I met you, you always want to be a value add. You never want to be a detriment to your team, just like you were saying. And uh, that's one of the things I appreciate about you most at this point in our career (laughs) is that you're not scared to say, fuck that. We're not doing it that way anymore. We're changing. This may have worked then, but it doesn't work now. So we're going to fucking fix it. Right. And, And I think there's a tactful way of doing it. And as I've gotten older, I think I've learned how to how to bring things up so it doesn't is not off putting instead of when I was younger, I was like, yeah, this is dumb. It doesn't work. We're going to do it this way. Now people don't, that's not a way to get reception. So I've had to learn that. Um, but I think that's how I've always operated is I'm not really inventing anything. I'm taking what we have and trying to improve it. And 
some people like that and some people don't, but that's how we get better. And that's how I've excelled in each of my career paths was, okay, now I've learned the task. I've learned what my job responsibility is. Now I'm looking for, how do I make us better? And then hopefully those that follow me do the same thing. And, and I think you can see that in our department now. And, and I'm just a contributor. I'm not the one who even started this, this, I think you, Scott Baker, you know, Micah, kind of started this path for our department uh, currently to be where we are today. Um, and so I just want to be that player to, that can say, okay, cool. We're going that route. Okay. Where can I, again, value add, where can I, um, where can I insert my opinions um, of what I'm good at? And then if we all do that, we're just a better entity and who fire is now versus um, what we were when I started or not the same department. Um, it's just not, and it's for, and for the better. Um, and then kind of diving into mindset of like on the call, like, you know, when you get into any of the careers I've done is, um, you know, we do pre-mission checks in the military. Well, I do pre-mission checks with my mind before I come to work. Am I, am I, am I in the game mentally or are there things that are bothering me at home or whatever that I need to isolate? So when I come to work that my mind's in the game and then I'm pre-planning on the, like, you know, we all talk about in classes, what's the weather today? How am I feeling today? Um, you know, I'm, I just had surgery. Is my knee going to impair me or is it not? All these things is what I'm thinking about as I drive into work is how am I going to be ready for the day? And then again, setting my gear up for the day. And my mindset is I'm going to have the hardest call I've ever run today. It's going to be today. So I try and set myself and my mind up for that mentality. And that's why I try and teach my guys is, you know, the best quote I've seen, I don't know who made it, but the expect fire, expect victims should just be on everybody's dashboard. If you start there, when you get there and that's what you find, you're like, cool, that's what I expected. Let's execute. If I don't have that, it's easier to, to dial back than it is to ramp up. And so we talk about the OODA loop and saying, if I'm already oriented and have made a decision that I'm going to show up, either fight fire or grab victims, when that happens... I don't have to reorient. My OODA loop is now on track. If I go the other way though and say, it's a still alarm, we're not going to do anything. I'm not even dressed out. And then I show up and there's fire. Now my OODA loop has to reset and I'm behind the curve. So again, that's that mindset of if you're just preparing for that to happen all the time, when it happens, you're executing and you're executing at a higher level than you probably would have as we get into grabs and stuff. I think that I can correlate how that worked for me. Um, but I think that is that, you know, so you have that pre-mission mindset and then the mindset once you're on the scene of like, you know, are you ready to make decisions you need to make uh, to, to accomplish a task? Um, so, yeah, I, I totally feel you on all that stuff. But one of the other pre-mission things that I do, not just fire and victims, but in our role now, I'm thinking made it every, right. every morning. That's part of my setup. Yeah. And that's good. And that's what I mean is like from your role, you need to see what, you know, I like the acronym win. What's important now is based on your, your role, what is important now? So yeah, for us, victims are important, but making the grab isn't our job now. So it's okay. What to do after. So I'm expecting fire, expecting victims, expecting mayday. Like we've talked about is, do I just now, do I just strike that second alarm and route? 
because now all those pieces that I'm going to need are on the way. And so if it does come, I'm like, okay, cool. I already got guys backfilling. So I think, you know, that's important um, at every rank from the firefighter. If you're the, if you're going to be on the nozzle or you're going to be the irons is like, they should be doing all of that in the morning. I tell the guys every day, I don't know why you guys aren't stretching line every morning. You should pull the flap and go, I don't like, I'm not the one who loaded that hose. I don't like, I'm going to pull it. And then I tell him I better never see that hose just fall on the ground. It's a wasted rep. Every time you pull it off the bed, it should come off like you're find a target and go to it. Um, and I go, I wish I would have had that mindset as a fireman, but as I've learned, I'm like, man, I should have been doing that every day. Um, because if you have a bad pull in the bay, then you got your bad pull out of the way. That way, that next pull, when it's on a fire, you're like, I already reloaded this hose. It's exactly how I want. And you're going to nail that pull. And that's that pre mindset is now I don't have to go. I hope they loaded it right. I loaded it right. Are my irons married the way I want them to be married? Is my pack set up the way I want my pack set? All of that stuff, that pre-mission check and then getting your mind right because it just eliminates worries of, I don't have to worry about, is my pack good for the day because I checked it. I don't have to worry if my hose lay is the way I want because I already did it. If you do that in the morning, then again, when the job comes, you're good because those are things. Now all I have to focus on is what size structure, what's the fire look like, what was my task. So I can focus on the important stuff and not go, oh, did I bring my mask today or whatever it is. Um, so I think that mindset thing, it encompasses the entire thing we do both on and off. And then it's preparing your mind for when you're home and how do you deal with the job? Because it's not always we don't always win and we don't always have the greatest things happen. Um, how do you deal with that is another mindset. So I think the mindset can be talked about ad nauseum, um, in different aspects. Uh, but it's very important to be self-aware that you have to have a mindset that is going to make you successful. I think, uh, some of the things when you sent this to me and you said, you know, I want to talk about mindset. I, I thought to myself, what does that mean to me? You know, what is, what is my mindset and what am I doing? I think the number one thing that came to mind and the number one thing that I thought about when you said this was passion. And I think correct passion fuels the appropriate mindset. If you come into anything in your life, whether it's, you know, firefighting, jujitsu, the military, being a police officer, SWAT team, whatever the case may be, if you don't have passion for what you're doing, especially in, you know, I'm not taking away from anybody else's job, but we have some pretty critical um, uh, circumstances that we go into that have, you know, high stakes. And if you don't have the appropriate passion for that, and that's not fueling the appropriate mindset, then your, your likelihood of a mistake is much higher. And we've talked about it before. If you do make that mistake, that could be the end of you professionally. It could be the the end of you on this earth. It could be the end of you mentally as well. You know, that could be something that spirals out for the rest of your life and has a catastrophic effect. And, and the fact that guys are, and I don't want to say not having the correct mindset, but not diving into things as deeply as some of us do, it it can be disheartening. It can be frightening at times. Having that correct mindset is something that going into the job, even though you might not get a job a day, even though you might not have been to a job in a month, two months, three months, you know, you might not, you, you know, took a day off, had a vacation. Of course, everybody gets, everybody's set, gets a fire when they're on vacation. It's a fact. Oh, yeah. So don't ever take a vacation day. <laughs> so that happens, you know, and then you sit, the, you sit there and go, yeah, whatever. I'm not doing a pack check today. 
Nah, whatever. I, whatever. It looks like the loops are at three and five. I don't care. Fine. That, that hose out's fine. But like you said, you might not get a job every day, but you might. But you might. I, I The dice roll to me is something that I've never understood where people are either willing to go, nah, fuck it. I don't care. Whatever. It might happen. It might not. Or the people that haven't been training, haven't been getting out there, haven't been in the right mindset and haven't put in the time and you look at them and go, Holy shit, dude. What what if we do get it tonight? Like you, you what are you going to do besides fuck it up? Yeah, you see it. I mean, the guys they, they get complacent and they and you kind of get to the point where you're like all I want to do is come to the work, hang out with my buddies. I know I'm going to run a couple of medical calls, whatever, um, but I don't really want to do anything. But I want to fire. And it's like cool. So how are you preparing for that? And they're like, why? I went to the academy and it's like, it's not, it's not good enough. Um, and I went to the academy five years ago. Yeah. And unfortunately we don't get enough fires for them to have a couple bad ones that you're like, Oh, I need to get better. It's like the most important fire you'll ever run could be the next one. We don't have a lot of like small ones. Um, you know, I learned trial by error. There's definitely times where I'm like, I thought I knew what I was doing. And then you have a fire doesn't go so well. And you're like, no, maybe I don't know what I'm doing and what can I do better? Well, that's really avoidable because you could be prepared. And, um, you know, like I said, you guys, the guys want to sit around and do, do shit. That's not really training. And it's like, well, the next call, it could be the next call. And that's the, that's what makes the job fun is we don't know. There's no, you don't wake up in the morning and go like the conditions are right for a structure fire with multiple victims. It, it, there's I, no, I, I say that every morning. <laughs> well, the conditions are always well, right. They are. I mean, truthfully they are every day. There is no condition that dictates a structure fire is going to happen or not happen. It's not like the wildland season where we can kind of predict higher probability with a structure fire. There's, it's just, it, it could happen at any time of the day at any second. And we don't really get a say in that. So we have to be ready for that to happen at any time. And again, that's where that, you know, just being ready to go every day and then do, and then, like I said, for me, it just is running the, the game in my head over and over and over and over again is okay. If this happens, what am I going to do? If that happens, what am I going to do? And just kind of pre gaming stuff in my head all day. Or if somebody brings up a topic, then I'll like, okay, well, how would I handle that? Um, I think, if you're just keeping your mind sharp, then as these things happen, you're, you're just ready to go. That except that your mind is prepared. It's primed for having to make some decisions versus coming and going. My only goal today is to not run calls and sit in my room. Well, then every call is going to be a challenge. Yeah. I think, uh, one of the funny things, little, just a little funny anecdote right around, uh, when, you know, my, in the backseat when my brother was a captain, uh, he told me, you know, I was new as proby and it was the fall, my first fall on the job. And he said, we were outside on a medical call. We were getting done, getting back in the engine. And he said, structure fire weather right now. And I said, Oh really? You know, I want to learn like what makes it structure fire weather. This is fall time. A lot of people lighting candles in their house and stuff, you know, pumpkin spice and, you know, light a fire. And I thought, wow, that's an astute observation. I'm going to put that in the notebook, right? So I, I filed it away. Whatever he said was the gospel, right? It's my brother's my captain. We uh, Then the wintertime came around, riding backwards for him again. We're getting out, same thing, on medical call. And he goes, structure fire weather right now. And I went, wait a second. I thought the fall time was structure fire weather. And I said, well, why is it structure fire weather now? And he said, you know, people kicking their furnaces on, first snowfall, getting those you know fires burning in the house, man, structure fire weather. And it hit me. I said, it's always structure fire weather. This dude is ready to go no matter what time of day, time of year, whatever. He's already put in his head 
that we're going to a structure fire. And then, so I took that and said, we're going to a structure fire every day that I get to work is the day. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. That's funny. I, I still say that all the time. I tell my guys, Hey, structure fire weather today, boys. Cause we talk about wildland weather all the time, but it's like, I've been saying that my whole career up oh, today, structure fire weather. Yeah, it's great. I mean, that's, that's the truth though. And if you have that, you're just ready to go. I mean, uh, it's, it's cool when you see people that are in that mindset though, and you watch them work. And you can see, you can just tell, you're like, these guys are ready. They came to work ready to go. And they're not shocked by what they're seeing. They're like, cool, this is what I expected. Let's go. Um, so you can see it. And and I think, you know, at least in our department, it's been pretty addictive for people to see. And that's just kind of the way most of the people we have now operate. And so it makes it really really enjoyable to come to work and watch and, and even hear about other people's calls and you're like, that's awesome. Like you guys are crushing it because you're ready to go. And you know, like for me, the, the biggest thing in my, my mindset is I want to win every time. I just want to win. I realize I won't, but I'm planning to win every time. And that didn't matter if it was a SWAT call, if it was a military mission or the fire service, every time I'm go- my mindset is I'm going to win and I will do whatever it takes to win this. But I also have to be prepared and be trained because you can't just guess, you know, hope, hope. I just know I'm like, I know that we're good enough and we're going to win. And uh, if we don't, then we'll reevaluate. But I don't go into it thinking, I don't think we can win this. Yeah, I, I love winning, but I fucking hate losing. Right. We, uh, you know, it's it's interesting that you talk about that because you got to go in like every day is the day, right? The complacency that can be built with lulls is dangerous. You know, you get into this groove and like we talked about on the last episode, you know, there's no individual firefighter that is running a job a day in this area. Just, it is not happening, but it's happening. Jobs are happening. Things are happening. Yeah. There's departments that run a job a day, but there is no individual fireman that's running a job a day. Correct. But it is happening. We're not, not running jobs. We're not, not getting critical calls, you know? So the guys that come in with this complacency, it's, bizarre to me and especially in our department if you think about really wrap your head around the last five years of our department and the jobs we've ran they have been gnarly like we don't go to a lot of always oh, a, a wastebasket fire in the back bedroom and we got in there real quick and knocked it down like i don't know if our reporting system is slow or if <laughs> things just get ripping harder yeah, yeah those things that are like not really a room and contents it's just like a something in the room was on fire. We don't do a whole lot of that. No, we don't go to a lot of barbecue fires. We go to a lot of, uh, this house is cranking and there's some lady in the front yard screaming that there's people in there. Or we go to, Oh, this is a giant historical house on the West side that has literally (laughs) 100% involvement on two sides. We're going to some serious jobs and guys who get into these complacent mindsets and you talk to them and you're like, we just, ran a structure fire the other day that was ABC, you know, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's strange that we don't get a lot of those small room and content fires where, you know, it's a quick knockdown, a truck maybe be able to deal with a can or something. We, we get them there. We're behind the power curve every time. And it's like, we got to make things happen right now. It's not like, Oh, we got light smoke. We're going to do, we're going to go investigate it. We're going to look inside. Oh, it looks like it's in the back bedroom. Okay. Let's stretch a line. Okay. Like very, it's like, we're already there and it's like pre hostile fire conditions. And we got to make a change to that condition now, or we're going to lose. And we do it, but it's, that's how our fires go with Um, our, with our 15. Yeah. Yeah. With 15, which is 
bizarre that we're able to do it. But again, I think that's a testament to the standard that we've set for ourselves is that we don't lose. And, and we're not dangerous either. I don't feel that we do anything that I'm like, I don't know what we're doing. Everyone's do operating within, I would say a good safety margin, but the mindset is we have a job to do and we're going to get it done and we'll do with what we got. Absolutely. I mean, you go to war with the army you have, not the one you want, right? Right. In fact, sometimes I'm like, I don't know what I would do with another five guys. (laughs) I'm so used to doing it with set up rehab. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, what do I do with these extra people? I already got all the jobs filled. Um, But it, it, you know, it's, it's just different, but I was doing the math to trying to do the math to kind of equate what one year in Houston is to, to, and my number is somewhere about every year in Houston is worth about five years in as far as fire experience. Um, and there's other places that are probably way higher. Like I'm sure in New York and stuff that, you know, they run in a shift, probably what some of us run in a year. Um, so, you know, that is where it makes it really tough to say, well, you're going to get the training on the job because you're not. And, um, so you really got to harp on the training. Yeah. I mean, look at some of our other local departments around here. You may do a career without getting the type of experience that you get in a month, two months, six months Yeah, at a very neighboring department, like a department that's very close to you. Yeah. It's it's crazy. That being said, though, if you can be the the fireman, the operator, the captain, the battalion chief that takes it seriously, has the appropriate mindset and applies the trainings and lessons learned to your everyday life in the firehouse, you can be you can have the same skill set. Just cuz we don't go to a job a day, I I'll go anywhere in the country right now i'll take the two of you with me anywhere in the country right now jump on a rig and i might not know their layouts like i know ours i might not know their sops but i know the three of us are going to get it done you know because we take the job seriously and that's where your mindset should be you shouldn't try to be your local firefighter right i'm a firefighter in i'm a firefighter in whatever town you know you're a fireman and you should act as if, if I plucked you out of your comfort zone and I put you somewhere else, you should be able to perform at the industry standard minimum at minimum. I, I completely agree with that. You should be a fireman. That's it. And you should be able to be a fireman in New York or LA or rural middle America. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. You guys bring that point up, you know, in wildland, that's what we do. In wildland, the expectation is you're a wildland trained firefighter and you can operate anywhere in the country and that's the expectation. But why don't we do that with structure? Yeah, coast to coast like butter on toast. That's right. Uh, it, it, you get in, I mean, I might not know how to run a fire swatter. You know, the guys in Tennessee are going to have to show me how to use that bad boy if I got out there. But as far as structure fire goes, structures are structures. Yes, we have, you go back east, you're going to have different construction. You go out west, you have different construction, urban, suburban, right? We're going to have these variables. But the standards of firefighting performance should be able to travel with you. And guys get into this complacent mindset where they go, oh, man, these guys are, you know, these guys are killers. You know, these guys are so badass. Like, yeah, these guys are badass. You can be badass too, brother. Yeah, shout out to John Salko here real quick. He told me one time, he goes, what's every fire department in the nation have engines period. Yeah. Engines and firemen. Sorry, truckies. Trucks are cool (laughs) too. 
Yeah, no, again, that just gets into is we should be interchangeable. I should be able to show up anywhere and with my skill set and say, okay, let's go. Um, I just don't, it's interesting that we don't really, this fire service is a structure side doesn't really have that standard, but the wildland community does. It's like, that's, you have to just be, there's a standard that you have to be able to do it no matter where. And in structure land, we don't really, it's kind of like, yeah, like you said, you're your local guy. I'm really good at this, but I don't know if I could do it there. It's like, well, you should be able to. I've listened to probably thousands. I don't know. I've listened to thousands of podcasts, thousands and thousands. I've never heard somebody talk about this exact subject. This is a very good comparison. Yeah. That's excellent. I really like that. I'm yeah. gonna, we're going to carry that on. That's a good one for sure. Absolutely. I mean, the, the wildland standard, right? Across the country, grow a beard, don't shower. <laughs> you know, put your dirty hands in the chocolate milk bucket. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, right? Well, uh, speaking of mindset, let's let's roll into the second topic that you talked to me about. You and uh, and I happened to be on a call in 2018 that 100 percent was successful because of mindset. 100 percent from all facets. So I want, I want to hear a little bit about that. Let's tell that story. Yeah. And that's a, it's interesting. Like I said, I'd like to compare it to the call they ran the other day. Uh, I think there's some real stark comparisons of what we've done as training cadre to make some changes. But yeah, speaking of that, um, you know, it was very unique. You were working, uh, you were training at the Academy teaching and I was teaching a, a law enforcement class and happened to be <clears throat> in our assistant chief's office, just BSing about some stuff. And we got a page for apartment fire and he's like, you want to go? I'm like, of course. And I happen to have my turnouts in my truck. So I'll meet you out front and I'll jump in your buggy. So that's what I did. I threw my stuff in his buggy. Weird. You had your shit with you and you're ready to go. Yeah. Exactly. That, yeah. That plays a factor. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll go. So I'm thinking just driving with them. Like, okay, I'll be safety. I'll be accountability. I'll, you know, I'll just be an extra hand. And just real quick. You were a captain at this time, correct? Yeah, I was a captain. So I'm just looking at like, again, where can I insert myself if I show up? Because I, all other guys are going to do the work, but where can I be, you know, to not get in the way, but be uh, value added. So I'm thinking, okay, this is what places I could be on the fire to help these guys out. So as we're pulling out, everybody else is training at our, uh, at our Northern station and the house, and it was a, in the, that district in their Northern district, but everybody was compiled together doing training when it came out and I was coming from the headquarters and we pull out and you can see the column. And as we like pull onto our main street, they're like, Hey, there's a confirmed victim trapped. And we're like, well, we're probably going to be first in because we got out of the barn. We're in a pickup truck. And so the chief at the time was like, get dressed, you're going. So now mindset changed from, oh, I'm just going to hang out and help to, I'm going to have to go do a victim rescue by myself. And that's just my, what I was like, okay. So I'm getting dressed in the front seat and uh, I'm like, hey, do you have an air pack in this rig? And he's like, I do. I'm like, cool. Do you have a radio? He goes, no. So I'm like, well, all right. I mean, I'll take what I can get. So we pull up. Right as we pull up, one of the engines pulls up right in front of us, which was perfect. So I hop out, grab the air pack, start sprinting up the street because we parked quite a ways away to make room for all the other incoming apparatus we knew were coming. So I run all the way up the street, down the stairs that this apartment complex was on and the engine company captain's out there and he's trying to assess the situation. People are screaming at him. There's a kid up in the window, points to the window. I asked him like, hey, Cause obviously I wasn't on duty. I'm like, Hey, I'm working. I'm with, I'm, I'm assigned to you. What do you need? And he's like, I need a hose line. So I'm like, cool. I'll go stretch the line, turn around, make like two steps. And 
you were at the you and uh, and one of our other guys was already at the pump or at the panel. So I just yelled, "You guys, hey, stretch that line!" So I turn around, I go, "Line's coming," and. I just at that point felt like we weren't taking action. And so I just said, I'm going, I, I'm not, I don't know why we're standing outside here anymore. I'm going. Uh, so I did a quick, just threw my mask on helmet and looked and one other guy was ready to go. Mask was on. All he needed to do was click in air and he was just waiting for an assignment is the fireman off the engine. He's just standing there waiting. And I go, cool. You're with me. And we uh, made entry. Um, the window was completely, um, obscured by the smoke with basically all the signs of a hostile fire event coming out of the room of the victim. Uh, we made entry upstairs. Uh, the room on the right was fully involved and making its way, the flow path going into the kid's bedroom. Um, zero viz made our way in there, found a dog, passed it off, um, was searching the room, um, felt an arm. And again, it goes back to training. I felt an arm and I knew it was a turnout co arm. So I'm like that. Okay. Who is this? And they're like, the guy said his name and I'm like, cool. Now I know where my window is because there was no viz to know where anything was, but I now had orientation of where I am in space and where my window exit is, uh, swept down in between the beds, found this kid that was supposed to be eight years old. And so I'm assuming that he weighs a specific amount, but this was a very large person, um, handed him out the window and then was like, that's not who I'm looking for. Kept searching. And then we found out that that was just a super large eight year old. Um, so, so we made the grab, the guys on the rescue saved that kid's life. And, and it was awesome. And it was a good outcome. The things that, worried me about that call was that a lot of decisions were made that were really good, but they were made on independent action. There was no command and control. Nobody told me you're assigned search, go get the kid. I had to just make that decision. Um, the fire attack guys, they just knew they needed to pull a hose and go put the fire out. Then we had a vent crew and they're just until later on in the incident, wasn't a good command and control. It was like a lot of good independent action, a lot of good people going I know what I need to do. I'm just going to independently do it. And it worked. But the problem was, is that it could have been really bad. What if nobody was at the window when I needed them to be? What if you guys were waiting for something to make fire attack? And then, you know, whatever, what if my, my backup search guy didn't shut the door and we got flashed on? What if there didn't happen to be two paramedics at the end of the stairs to catch that kid, to take him in an ambulance and treat him? Like we, none of that was planned. It was just, it happened because people made decisions. So although it's a successful story, and I think it's a good point of mindset, like I said, I didn't go to work that day. I wasn't even working that day to, to be ready to do that. Um, the thing is, is that it really opened my eyes to where we're failing. Um, we got, like I said, I think we got lucky because there were, we had some people in the department that were always in the mindset of winning and made decisions that needed to happen right now without, you know, being told to do so. Um, but that could have gone really bad. Um, yeah, you, you, you touched on a couple of things. You brushed over them a little bit, uh, cause I understand what you're talking about, but, um, can you touch on some of the things that, that each individual did on that, that made it so successful that made the change on the scene as far as door control, yeah. line placement, VES from the outside. Yeah. So, um, fortunately, unfortunately the brother, had put a, there was a worker, a painter, power utility guy or something there. Um, I don't I think remember. he was a cable guy, cable guy, I remember had his, you know, painter's ladder and they grabbed that and broke the window out trying to get their brother out before we got there. 
So that did create a flow path issue, but it also, there was a ladder in place. So again, it kind of goes to that action is I made the decision that the best access would be to go through the front door up the stairs. Cause I was familiar with the apartments and I knew what I, where the, what the layout was going to be. So I didn't feel like there was going to be a delay with that. So that was the decision I made independently to go up and what I was going to do. Um, the outside fireman recognized there was a ladder there and said, well, I'm going to go up there. And, and he, I, his intent was to VES that window, but w- I think there was some prompting. They, well, there may have been, but whoever prompted it, somebody said, use that ladder, um, and, uh, get up that, get up the ladder and get in that window. So again, another action that was made independently or amongst men on the scene versus a command decision. Yeah, firemen making decisions. Firemen, yeah. Command making decisions. Yeah, not captains. These are firefighters saying this is what we got to do. So that was great to have somebody on the ladder when I needed them. Then like, you know, getting the hose placement and and making that attack independently without a captain saying, we're going to do it this way. And it was two firemen on the line. They knew what that stretch they needed. They knew what they needed to do and they executed. Um, there was, like I said, the, the victim came out or we'll talk about door control. So I went in, like I said, full flow path from right to left into the room that I was going. Um, we got in my partner again, at that time, a young fireman instinctively due to training and been knowing the job, shut the door behind us. Um, I would say the temperatures dropped about 50% from when I entered that room to when he shut the door to where it was like, I am not in a good, like I knew we were in trouble to, okay, this is manageable just on shutting that door and stopping that flow path. Um, so again, an independent action from a young fireman that just, he, you know, listening when we teach this stuff and, and taking it to heart and saying, Oh, I'm in that situation. They talked about, I should isolate this room. So that was awesome that I didn't have to tell him to do that. He just did it. Um, and then again, like I said, the victim comes out and, you know, there just happened to be two, two paramedics at the bottom of the ladder that were getting assigned to do fire attack that took the kid and said, okay, well now, now we're medics again. Um, and then they went and made a decision to commandeer an ambulance that wasn't theirs and use the fire chief as a driver again, independent, like making, so it was a lot of, um, like I said, individual actions that came together to make it successful and a lot of independent action by firefighter rank, which is awesome when you think about guys being good enough to do that. But as a company officer, as a battalion now, that's a failure in the system is that they, what if they didn't have that knowledge? Yeah. Bringing it back full circle to the uh, beginning of the podcast, when you said we've changed all that culture, you know, at at this point, that's no longer the case off of the, the recent grabs that we just had completely different, you know, similar outcomes with some saves, uh, one not successful, but got in there, did the work, but, everybody was assigned, knew their job, a lot more command and control on the scene. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in our culture, when I started in the department and even up till probably then was again, it, you had guys that wanted to make change. You know, I know you and Scott really fought to make change to our mayday policies and our writ policies and what, how we were actually going to do it and using data to drive, Hey, this is where writ actually comes into play. And maybe it's not as important for our department and, and use a two out model instead. And, Oh man, I, I can't tell you how many hours I spent years. I spent working on writ. And then when all the data poured in, having to 
turn around and go all right we're going in a different direction now yeah but you know, you know that's but it, but again it, up until you guys there it wasn't it wasn't okay to do that um, there was a lot of things that I thought we should do differently and it just wasn't okay to voice your opinion, right, wrong, or indifferent. And there was not really a discussion. It would, the culture was, this is how we're going to do it. And it doesn't matter what the data says. No one cares. This is, it works here. It's worked for us for years. This is how we're going to do it. And so the culture wasn't that you could make these changes, but then these type of critical incidents happen. And it's like, well, if I don't make this decision now, then it's not going to be a good outcome. So I have to make this decision despite what may happen after the fact, because it's the right decision. And I think now the, um, the culture that we have in this department is that we we're like fostering that type of innovation from our younger ones. And when we get into the, you know, the, the grab they just had, I mean, Jesse, you guys, you and Boyer just did a phenomenal search class on that exact type of scenario. Shout out Boyer, man. You know, um, Basically, like this is a this is how we search. This is how we ves all this. The mindset. How do you do it? How do you you know all of the steps that go into making a grab and searching properly? We just happened to do two weeks prior, and then we have a call where they have to put it to play, and they did exactly what you taught them. And from the time that air brake went off to the time those kids came out was under six minutes. That wouldn't have happened in my day, and you know when I was a firefighter in that department. Yeah, no, 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 no chance. Way. So, and then you see like, not only that, but the, the battalion on, we just did a whole bunch of command and control training. The battalion on scene did an amazing job taking command, super calm, very clear direction. The company officers told their people what to do. And then things had to flex on the fly. You know, one guy decided it was better for him to make the grab because he was closer than fight, you know, beyond the nozzle. He made that decision. The, the person that was on search said, Hey, they just abandoned that nozzle. I'm taking it because we need to protect the search. And they jumped. No, it was just those independent actions that shouldn't require company officer are now happening because the people we have employed are passionate about the job. They want to learn to trade and they understand the pieces and how they fit and where they need to make those impacts. Yeah. The, those uh, little handoffs at the door it, were huge. Yeah. I mean, that made the difference is instead of arguing, well, I'm searching your fire. That's my, they just, did it because it was the right decision and it was, and they were regardless of the outcome of the children, the job was successful. No way could they have done anything that they did any faster. Again, we were well behind the power curve with the fire production before it even went out as a 911 call. The actions they took were what needed to be done to be successful. We, unfortunately we don't get a say sometimes in the outcome of the victim, when we didn't get to say, we didn't get a say. And when we got there, we got there as fast as we could, which was the response time was well within or better than any standards. The entry into the door to make the search was within minutes. And the victims were in an ambulance being treated by paramedics and nurses within six minutes of us getting on scene. I don't know that you can do it much faster when you factor in things that have to be done when you get on scene. You know, you can't just, you don't just exit the truck and run full sprint, you know, barrel through the door. That's just not realistic, but moving at a pace that warrants, I am about to pull someone out of a victim. I don't think they could have gone faster. And I think it's just a testament to the culture that we're providing now where it's okay as a firefighter to come up with ideas and run with it if, and, and, and train uh, versus it having to be a top down approach. Yeah, and I, I I know Jesse won't say this, but 
it's truly the products that he put out in our academies over the years that he was involved in that. Um, you can see the difference, you know, oh, yeah. and uh, you, company officers like yourself, um, allowing firemen to have a voice and, uh, to train hard and make changes and do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, you could break that call down and see Jesse's mark on probably almost all of it. Like that hose pull they said was magnificent shoulder load. I wonder who taught them that. Uh oh. The the search was done specific way. Well, we know who taught them that. The guy who did outside vent to receive. It's like I already know who their RTO was at all of those steps. So I know where the mark came from. But that's what it takes, is that it does I think we can get away from um that only the guys that are, that are of higher rank know what they're talking about. Now it's like, it's, it really comes down to the passion. Who's the most passionate because the most passionate one's going to nerd out on the job and, and, and read articles and listen to podcasts and see other people's trials and tribulations and equate it and, and build this product for your individual agency. And that can be done at any level. Yeah. You know, sorry to cut you off there, Jay, but Nick, we know you're the passionate one. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Not about the dishwasher, but <laughs> I like what you said about guys, uh, the company officer allowing guys to to work, to do the job and having confidence in that. You guys absolutely, when you guys were company officers, I had to, got to work with both of you guys all the time. I get to work for you guys all the time now as the battalion chiefs, and you allow guys to do the job. It's not this mother may I system. And I think that the combination of the change of good command and control now that we've got the right battalion chiefs in place for our fires accompanied with the loosening of the leash to let guys do the job yes there's command and control but it's not a mother may i system so the thought from the fireman level and i'm sure the thought from the company officer level is not Oh, wringing my hands. I better ask the BC if I can do this. It's this is what needs to be done. And this is the expectation of my battalion chief on scene is that I do these things. You know, we talked about the the grab that you made when I was on the hose line. And it was, it was a lot of independent action. It it wasn't that that we were being told something else and we deviated from what we were being told. We just weren't being told anything. So we all came together as individual company officers and firefighters and made the right decisions. Thank goodness that crew was together for that fire, right? And shout out to everybody who made those independent actions. I know you, everybody's going to get into the word freelance. They're going to say, oh, they're replacing the word freelance with independent action. But there was, from the top to the bottom, there was independent action. From you making entry to make the grab with your with Coop. And shout out to Coop being a heads up fireman shutting that door, right? Me and Sharp making the the stairwell flowing water as we came up, you know, petty trying to direct it from the inside, being the only one who was on command and control for that for quite a bit, them coming out and the Peterson brothers taking that kid and shout out to the fire chief for saying, I'm going to jump in an ambulance and drive it rather than stay on scene to be a PIO or a overseer chief. Shout out to that guy as well for saying, I, this is bigger than me. I'm going to yeah. drive the ambulance. Yeah. These guys can handle because the fire wasn't out yet. No, absolutely <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> we, could, we could go on about yes. this fire because I had a lot more stuff to do after that. Yeah. I was done with that one. But no, it's right. And I wouldn't call it freelance in the fact that it was actions needed to be taken without direction. Um, and like you said, it wasn't like there was directions given and people were like, well, I'm going to do my own thing. I would say, I would feel that's more a little bit more of a freelancing attitude versus, well, I'm not being given direction, but things have to happen. 
So we're going to execute and people made the right decisions. Yeah. It was like 15 little Travis Boggs running around on scene. (laughs) Hey man, you know, it worked that time, but again, it was like, so the way I look at stuff is okay, cool. We had a, we had a positive outcome. Great. But I can critique the shit out of that fire and say, where's all the failure points? Because that's all I looked at was if people were like, Oh, you did this. I'm like, dude, I, all I can see is how many things we failed at. And I failed at, I mean, I made a lot of bad mistakes that I'll teach in the Academy is, you know, in the, in the, the realm of it, I, time seemed to be sped up to where I felt like everything we were doing was taking too long. So my decision to go inside, I felt that putting my hood on was going to take too long. So I didn't put my hood on. I didn't pull my chin strap on my helmet tight because I felt like that was going to take too All I wanted to do was get in because I felt like we were taking too long. And those could have been detrimental to the call being in the conditions we were is I could have ended up getting burned. My helmet kept falling off. So I had to just throw it across the room to get it off my head. Cause it was in my way. And those aren't, that's not professional. That was just me not taking that second to go. It, it's not going to take me that much longer to, to secure my equipment the way we teach you. And I try and teach that to the guys is just going to feel like, and again, I play a little bit of that too. And it's not really to, I guess my issue was, is I was discombobulated from the start because I wasn't working and having to get ready and do and flex over and over again versus showing up on an engine and saying, okay, I, you know, I'm already at work. Um, but still was inexcusable in my eyes to say, well, why didn't you put your hood on? Why didn't you cinch your helmet? That, I mean, you really, the reality is that's five seconds of time. Right. And when you're, when you're crushing the basics all the time, right. Doing an air pack yeah. drill every day, doing that stuff every day. Like we, I know you do. I still do. Jay, I know you do. Most of our crews, most of the guys do every day. Like that would take that discombobulation away a little bit, right? right? Just crushing that basic all the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, those are mistakes that I made that again, I, I don't really have an excuse for. They just, it, it, it gets you to like, okay, you need to take the second. Cause you know, sometimes the second saves a lot. And if I would have become burned because I didn't have my hood on now, I'm a patient. Now that kid doesn't get rescued because my partner's rescuing me. And now he dies because I, I didn't want to take a couple seconds to put my shit on. So those are things I fall back on. I was like, I could have fucked this whole thing up with one mistake. So it's, it's well, well you didn't number one <laughs> and you, you're a fucking stud still. So I agree a hundred percent. We, I think it's amazing that we're, we're going to sit here and you're going to call out all the things that you didn't do good. It's still inexcusable. I'm pissed at you. Right now. One of the things on the fire ground that we, and we have as a culture in at least our department, and I think we're getting better in this area is we've stopped with the, well, you know, nobody got hurt and it didn't burn to the ground mentality. It's such bullshit that, well, nobody got hurt and it didn't burn to the ground. It's like, yeah, cause we get lucked out. Right. We put together a ton of great firefighting uh, on that call, you know, from, from soup to nuts, we put together a bunch of great standard firefighting on that call. But like you're saying, we made a bunch of mistakes along the way too, that could have been catastrophic. And had we not put it all together in the way we did, it would have been catastrophic and we need to learn from that. And I think it's so mature and intelligent to move forward from that call. Yes. Taking the win. Yes, being super proud of what we did. I mean, shit, I got a picture on the wall right there of that call. Yeah. You know, being super pumped about that is great, but we do need to be mature enough, like you're saying, and say, this is what I did wrong. 
This is what I could have done better. This is what we need to do next time. And I think we're seeing that, like with the grab we just had a couple of weeks ago, we're seeing better command and control put in place. We're seeing better assignments being given out. So at least there's some clear assignments. And then from the firefighter level, we're still seeing those great independent actions when necessary but with the overlay of a better command and control. And that's a testament to all of us for combining everything together to really put together a good product. Yeah, and, and I'll say, you know, John, those mistakes that you, that you say that you made, those contributed to you changing our department. Because I see you harp on your guys all the time, my guys, every other guy that comes near you, I see you making that change in them still every day. So even though you look at it as these are mistakes that I made, those mistakes contributed to you changing this department that we work at and making guys that much better. It's it's really it's admirable and, and cool that you were able to be honest enough with yourself and then realize it and make the change. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I mean, like I said, that's just, again, if, if I don't teach what I've failed at to others, then we're not going to get better. And, and I think it, you know, really, I think is more impactful when you can talk to somebody that's been through it and they're like, this is what I screwed up on. And then you really take it to heart versus teaching a tactic or a standard that like in theory, this should work. But when you talk to someone's like, look, this is the mistake, this is why it didn't work or whatever. You just, you're like, Oh, I can relate it to to real life. Um, and I think that's the only way we get better. And, and I think if people are honest about, you know, you don't have to beat yourself up, but if you're honest about, Hey, I can improve here. And everybody brings that to the table in an AAR, that's how you make the change. You go, cool. What could we have done? And, and you see it because that was in 2018 and they just had a grab two weeks ago. And I can I, just listening to the AAR and listening to the call, all those mistakes that we made didn't happen. Now, sure, are there are things they could, that they're probably saying we could have done better. I'm sure there was, and we'll learn from that now. Never had a fire where we didn't right. say that. But, but I can see all of the changes. Like I can see and compare my grab call to their grab call, and all the issues that I had with ours don't exist on theirs because we as an organization made those changes. And that's the way that we get better. And that's why I was so excited to see it. I was like, man, that went so well compared to what I know. And, and we're just going to keep betting better every time we do it. Yeah. I was just going to say, we're going to just add on now. It's just going to, yeah. Cause those guys better. are going to have input now and say, okay, now this is what we could do. And it's just that echelon of getting better. Um, and that's what makes us good is we have a lot of passionate people right now that just have, they just want to learn and they just want to do the job and be the best at it. And so it makes it really easy from my standpoint to, to manage that. One of the things that I've noticed <clears throat> The uh, the other side of the coin of our engagement and our passionate uh, firefighters, the crop that's coming up lately, one of the negative sides, and we got to touch on both sides, right, is I think that uh, we they hold themselves to such a high standard, which is amazing, and that's why we're getting the results that we're getting. Sometimes in these AARs, though, we're seeing them focus in on some of that negative a little bit too much. I want these guys to first tell themselves all the positives they did. Talking to Richards about this grab. Shout out, brother. You're a stud. You know, first thing he told me was all the things he didn't do right. And I said, stop, man. You crushed that. You're a goddamn bona fide hero fireman. And then let's talk about how we're going to do it better next time. It's all good, right? We got to look at these positives, right? And we got to say to ourselves, we got to have the wherewithal to do exactly what you did and just break down. These were all the mistakes I made. 
But man, let's not get lost in the sauce and let's think about what we really were able to accomplish here. But I do like that they're able to step to the side and say, the next time I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this next thing. It just it it reiterates what I was talking about earlier, getting away from that. Well, nobody got hurt and the house didn't burn down mentality. Clearly, that is not the mentality we are fostering in this department anymore. And these guys are already on board a couple years in with this is what I did good, this is what I can do better, and going forward with that. Yeah, and I, I think they're going to just carry that on. You know, They're just going to continue to get better at their craft all the time. They do beat themselves up a lot, which I don't see as too much of a negative, to be totally honest with you. They, uh, uh, just like we all do, right? That John's touched on it multiple times. I've learned way more from my mistakes in my life, and especially my life in the fire service, than my successes. You know, so yeah, there's definitely a fine line between nitpicking yourself and then letting it define who you be, who you're going to become. And that's where you have to be careful is like, it's fine to pick apart yourself professionally and say, where could I be a little bit better? But you can't allow that to, um, you know, change your person. I like, you know, you can't get into that. Like I, I'm a failure. I know with this one, because we had one save and, and one that didn't make it uh, again, none of their actions contributed to that. And so you, it, but now they're going to, they're looking at those mistakes, like maybe that, maybe, maybe. And it's like, look, there's a, you have to come to that term of like, none of those things that I'm upset about made a difference. It's just, how can I be cleaner? How could I have been a little bit better next time? But none of those specifically contributed to the outcome because ultimately you look at the numbers. How long did it take for you guys to get on scene and get out of that house with people? I don't really think you could do it safely any other way short of just bull in a China shop. And then that's, that's hit and miss if that had even worked. And, and really, is that going to be more effective? No. You know what I mean? Cause that's, that's a lucky lucky. Cause you're just guessing that you end up in the right spot instead of saying, Hey, I, this is the bedroom and I've taken that time to target that search. So I, I think there's definitely, you know, you have to find that balance of like, okay, when can I, look inside and say, Hey, these are things that I didn't do very well that I'm going to do better. And I want other people to know, but I'm not going to use those to say, well, I'm not, I'm a terrible person or I failed because of those. Um, it's just the little critiques that you have to, to use. Yeah. We, we all may still be terrible people. I'm just, well, that's true. <laughs> I had a, uh, I had a talk with all of them afterwards. I, I met up with them cause I was jacked to the ceiling. I wasn't even at the call and I was over the moon about it and i wanted to meet up with them and tell them like this was amazing that you guys were able to do this and yes one we lost one right one of those kids died one of them didn't but we don't control when the bell rings the only thing within our purview the only thing within our control is how prepared we are when it does we didn't start the fire we weren't the ones who saw it originally we weren't the ones who called 911 we were the guys who then got in the rig drove there and got busy. So from that time on, we can't control that. We can't take all of those things before the 911 call and and take responsibility for it. If I if I'd have done this better, if I'd have done that better, if the fire would have started smaller, if the person would have saw it earlier, if they would have called 911 quicker. You know what I mean? All these things are so far out of our control. We cannot let those affect our mental attitude going forward. There has never been a call and and Please tell me, you, you've got 20 years plus in this business and you as well. Please tell me, have you ever shown up on scene and made it worse? Ever once for any call? 
I, it's not, cool. yeah, I don't, no, no, no. I can't no. think of one that no. I've made it worse. J- it's J- always what could I have made it a little bit better? Yeah, for sure. But you, did you ever get there and you're like, man, if John wouldn't have showed up, we this would have been <laughs> way better. No, yeah, d- Jeff Davies, man. But the only thing we do is make it better. When we show up, the only thing we do is make it better. And I think that's one of those things that we need to remind people sometimes, you know, when we start getting going down the negative rabbit hole and right walking that fine line of self critique and self deprecation, we need to remember, dude, we've never made it worse. Yeah. And you got to just kind of see where they're, they're beating themselves up. Like he could have been like, well, if I would have went right instead of left in the room, well, we're not going to, there's that's irrelevant. Like I could have said the same thing about mine. If I would have gone right the versus left, would I have found him faster? I don't know. And it doesn't matter. Um, but I, I like looking at them, it's like your hose pulls were clean. Your, you made entry clean. Your search tactics were clean. The way you, you guys split the exit, one went out the window, one out the front door, all that stuff worked out well. So you can't beat that up really. And so you just got to make sure that they're not getting to a point where they're, uh, worrying about stuff that's not that didn't doesn't matter yeah stuff that doesn't matter that that truly is out of their control like you know you got to make decisions so we've been we've talked about the a lot of stuff so far but and we've touched on some leadership stuff especially with uh with your guys's grab call but uh let's let's touch on some other leadership stuff both good and bad yeah, one of the things you uh, sent me to speak about and that we've been kind of harping on is leadership, both good and bad. Yeah, I mean, again, with the the ability for me to operate in different cultures, you know, fire, EMS, and military, I've seen uh, quite a bit of um, different styles of leadership. And like I said, some have been really good and some have been bad. Um and, and trying to decipher like what makes a bad leader. And, and I think there's a few things. I think it's how they were brought up in whatever their career was. And then I think it really comes down to what their m- priority is and mindset. Um, for me, every step that I've taken up the, the ladder is r- realizing that I don't work. I'm not, they don't work for me. I work for them. My job now is to say, okay, what do I do to make your job easier? How do I make you like, cause you're the one that has to go run the calls. You're the one that if I, if there's a fire has to make those tactical decisions to do it right. So what do I do to, where's the value add now? Well, it's giving clear assignments. I think a lot of it is trusting that you guys will make good decisions. And if you're, if I can't trust that you can make good decisions, then I'm failing. And that's when I was a captain with my fireman, although he was a senior guy, I told him, here's my expectations of you. I do not need to teach you or tell you which host to pull. I just need to tell you where I want the host to go. So if I do my lap around the house and I say, I want the hose line here, that's all I'm going to say. I don't. And if I have to say more than that, then I'm failing. And I'm not teaching you enough because I don't want, you know, I'm very big on the decentralized command is I should be able to give you an objective and it's your job to figure out how to accomplish that objective. I shouldn't have to tell you step-by-step. Step. Now I, I realize as a probationary firefighter, then we have to do that. But, you know, as a company officer with senior guys, 
I should just tell you, do this. This is the tack. This is the job. You guys can figure out which way you're going to force the door, how you're going to pull the stretch. That's your job as a fireman. That is your job. I should not have to tell you how to do your job. I should just tell you what job we're going to do. And you're going to help figure that out. Um, and as a battalion, it's kind of the same thing with the captains is I'm going to give you assignments. I'm going to give you an overall goal of what we're trying to accomplish, whether that be we're our overall goal right now is to rescue victims or our overall goal is to contain the fire, whatever it is. Or if it's a motor vehicle accident, our overall goal is this or whatever. I'm going to give you the overall goal of the call. And then I'm going to give you each assignments to accomplish the goal. After that, I'm in a support role. I'm waiting for you to tell me you need something to be successful. I need more personnel. Copy that. Let me get you some more. Uh, we need a ho- another hose line. Okay, I got you. I'm now just a support. I'm just there to continue to give you guys what you need to be successful. Yeah, I, I, I tell the guys all the time. I go, hey, look, if if my side of the app bay shut down, you guys would still be here running calls. Right. <laughs> if your side of the app bay shut down it's over. We go away too. Yeah. And again, it's like, I look at like, I think the, the, the command and, and the battalion roles is very important, but th- let's be honest, they don't need me to run, to do the job. I'm just there as a safety aspect really is to coordinate what's happening, be an extra set of eyes outside in case something bad's happening that I can catch it before they do and protect them. But the reality is like, they should be good enough that they don't really need me. I should just be an, a value added. Yeah, but that, that's our job as as uh, leaders is to make it so we're uh, almost make it so we're irrelevant, right? Make it so they could do our job, no questions asked, right? And then uh, and then we show up and put the bowl of candy in the balloon up, <laughs> right? Yeah. I I, uh, I think you're being a little more humble than is necessary for your position, just from my standpoint as a firefighter seeing the transition in battalion chiefs from our department and not, I'm not taking away from anybody's anybody's career taken away from any of the older uh, old school guard that we had, but I've seen a transition when Scott came in and then when you came in, then John, when you came in, Chris is there. I've seen this transition in our entire department has where the battalion chief became a major value add. And it was from all different aspects. It was from pushing us to train harder, supporting us while we're training, being present and adding value during the training, having confidence because most of us got to the pleasure to work for you guys as company officers. So knowing that our battalion chiefs know their shit and are dialed in and words that come out of their mouth mean something because they've been there and they've done that. That's important. And then getting on scene and then letting us do our job. Not once have we ever been stymied by our new battalion cadre through the yellow safety brick road, right? It's all about them and you guys intelligently but aggressively make assignments on our calls that we can feel confident in. And people that are hyper engaged in the trade, in in the craft, get leadership like this and thrive off of it. And from you guys changing that culture, we have seen... A, a change from the top down and from the bottom up and it's all coming together right now. Yeah. I, I, I've always told people you, you leadership is leadership's a weird word for me because you can't be a leader without any followers. So it really is more about followership than anything else. And you cannot be a good leader without being a good follower, without understanding 
And I feel like the position that I've transitioned into in the last couple of years as a battalion chief, I, I'm right back into that followership mode. You know, I, I want to support what my company officers are doing and what the firemen are doing and all that stuff. So it, it's been fun. Servant leadership, right? It's a buzzword. It's another one of those fire service buzzwords. <clears throat> Pardon me. That we've been hearing lately, but servant leadership truly is one of the things where you are working for your companies. The three of our battalion chiefs, we've seen nothing but that. You guys have brought that to the table where we understand that we have a value add in that position. And guys are looking to you for that. I know damn well, because I've been on scene with you guys many times as company officers and as the fireman who had a firm understanding of what we were trying to do. And we've all gone well how's this guy gonna stymie our progress right now okay we don't feel that anymore and that's that's something to be said that's something to be said for you guys for sure the consistent consistent behavior the honest treatment that you guys give us and putting your people first have a tremendous impact on the entire operation of the department and everyone from battalion chief above should be operating like that. Be consistent, be honest, and put your people first. And you will never be put in a position to be forced to manage them. They will work for you at that point. Yeah, I think like one of, you know, if you read the book, The the Mission, The Men, and Me, um, it's a very good, like the servant leader and like what's important. And obviously, yeah, the mission is important. What's our mission? Well, to serve the public in whatever realm that would be. Um, and then they say, you know, the, the, so that's the mission. Uh, then, then I'm supposed to take care of the men and then I'll worry about myself. And I think as a company officer, I believe that that is the order of that's the echelon, right? As a company officer, you should be pushing that. Our mission is the priority. And then I'm going to take care of the men and then, then I'll worry about myself. But I see myself as a battalion. And I think even above those ranks is at, at some point, the mission becomes the men. My mission is to take care of them so they can take care of the mission. So th- that's where I think some leaders have the, they, 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 they run afoul a little bit is that, you know, they'll say the mission is that we work for the city and we got to do what the city wants and that. And I'm like, yeah, but that's the department's mission as a department that's funded by taxpayers. That that's the finances mission. Yes. That's not the department's right. mission. The The entire department's mission is just like you're saying. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Your mission may change over your career and where we're sitting now, John, our mission is taking care of our men. Right. And that's why. And, I, and women, Andrea Brown, shout yes. out. Yeah. So that's kind of the way I look at it is I, and I, and I look at how different people lead and that, and, and, and I just kind of see that's like, maybe they're just, their, their objectives and what they feel is important is different than mine sometimes. And, and, and that's fine. But you know, the, I, I'm trying to be the leader where it's like, you need to have followers or if you want people to, I don't want to lead by rank where it's like, you're gonna, you know, the dictatorship. I want them to do what I ask them to do because they know that it's in the best interest of the mission and them that if I make a decision, I've that they know that I've already, I've already played it out on, is this the best thing? And so, yeah, maybe they don't think it's the best idea that day for them, but ultimately I've already played that game and it is the best decision for all parties. Um, and to know that when I make a decision that they may not like that their interest was taken highly into account before I asked them to do something. 
Um, and, and that I think is where you're going to gain people that will actually do things. And then I, they'll do things for you without you having to ask. And it's like, yeah, well, I was just going to say, you won't, you won't even have, have to ask, right. They'll just do the right thing all the time. And I, and I think that's super important versus the people that I've worked for that just have a different way of doing it. It's very dictatorship. Um, and you can see, you know, you kind of look at it as like, what's, what's your end state. And sometimes the end state is they're looking for their next movement up. And so they're making decisions that we're going to, are going to support that. And, you know, if that's their way of doing it, that's fine. It's just not the way that I operate or have ever operated. Um, and I, and I think that you can see very clearly which people that the people that operate that way, what kind of legacy that they lead and leave. And sometimes there is none at all because they're very concerned about, uh, and that was a big reason why I left the military is unfortunately it's, there, it, you get to this uh, career risk assessment where you basically don't allow people to do their job at all at fear of safety or risk that if they get hurt or something happens, then you're going to look bad and you're not going to get promoted. So we're not going to be risk adverse at all. And it's like, we're in careers that that's just part of the job. It's mitigating the risk. Yeah. That, that should never be the mindset yeah. from a leader. One of the things I've seen <clears throat> just in my observation, I have 18 years in public service. From my observation of leaders, I trying to wrap your head around if you were the leader, you have to look past the tip of your nose. You're at the 10,000, 100,000 foot view level, right? Where your, your purview is farther than most can start to wrap their mind around. And that's why you're the leaders because somebody needs to do that. However, you need to keep an eye on the ground as well. And you need to be able to span that bridge because if you lose the ground, if you lose the boots, the bugles don't matter, right? And trying to balance that, I think, is one of the biggest challenges of leadership that we see moving forward. When we get to, you know, leading from the bottom in my position, leading from the back seat is is easy for me as far as my responsibility goes because truthfully, the responsibility is on me. If I want to be a leader, I'll be a leader. If I don't, that's not my expectation from the top. My expectation is to do my job, but I want to lead. So I get to choose to do that. Once you step into the company officer role, that's your expectation. Once you step into the battalion chief role, now you've got to balance both. Like we're talking about when you go above that, now you're balancing even more, but you just can't lose sight of down the chain. You can't always be looking forward on the chain. And that's the real and, challenge of leadership. And, and to touch on that, dovetail a little bit. When you're at that super high level, but wanting to keep an eye on the ground, that's why you surround yourself with other good leaders. That's why you trust the people that work for you. The people that have their ear, you know, their ear to the street. Uh, that That's why you trust your people and you listen to your people. When they come to you with an issue or a problem or something good, you listen to them and you make your decisions based off of that. Well, we talked about freelancing to me. My, the only reason that I could see that someone would freelance is because they have no trust in their leadership. So they believe that they're whoever's in charge of this doesn't know what they're talking about. So they're going to do their own thing because they think it's better than that. And, you know, you have to, as a leader, build that trust to where like, I, I don't ever worry on my scenes that someone's going to freelance because I feel that they have trust in what I'm asking and the, they have trust in their captain. So there's no, I don't feel like there's any reason for someone to do that. But I think people that do do that, it is, a, there's a lack of leadership there because if you were strongly supported, you wouldn't feel that you would need to deviate 
and do that. So um, I think the other thing with the leadership is um, this new generation that I found uh, is very, very intriguing to try and try and decipher how, how it's being done, how to do good leadership with this, with the new generation. Like I touched on a little bit, like when I started, there wasn't as much ability to extrapolate information from everywhere and get different opinions. It was kind of like, this is how we do business. Um, and you just like, I didn't ask why we did it that way. I'm like, how do I open this door? Oh, let me show you. This is how the tool, this is how the key, the irons work. Okay. Well, why do we do it like that? It was never a question. Why do I have to pull hose this way? Why am I, why am I flowing it this way? Now to our detriment a little bit that we were doing a lot of things at that time in the fire service in general that today to, to by today's standards were unsafe and, and we were causing more problems than, than not, you know, the use of fog patterns, the use of breaking every window on entry, things like that. That was just a standard tactic, but that's how it was. The trade was passed down from person to person. Now you have a, a group of people where a, they do ask why. And not always because they're trying to defy you. They just truly want to know why they want more information than it used to just be. We're kind of more rudimentary. I don't need to know why. I just need to know how cool. Now they want to know why, why am I doing it that way? And that's okay. But we have to learn now is like, that's the only way you're going to get to these people is be prepared to tell them the why. And so I feel like now we're in this like hybrid, um, leadership and that leadership, I mean, by like all it's not rank based, but just as if you're a leader in your organization, you're training, you're teaching, you have to learn how to do this hybrid style where there's going to be a little bit of trades craft passed down from person to person. And there's a little bit from, Oh, they're, they watched a, a YouTube or a podcast and the guys are talking about this tactic. Why aren't we doing this tactic and being able to explain why we don't do that. And maybe we should be doing that tactic. And that's where that, saying, Oh, I, I haven't heard of that. Let me listen to that podcast too. Maybe that's something we should be doing instead of going, well, you're new and you don't know anything. So you couldn't possibly have a better idea than I have. Yeah. Which ties right back into mindset, right? It, it, you need to have an open mindset as a, as somebody who's willing to train people, you need to have an open mindset and somebody who's willing to lead people. You need to have an even opener mindset. Yeah. You want to talk about something that opener, I don't, I don't think opener is a word, but you want to talk about something that will sharpen your sword? Have a bunch of people ask you why. Not show me how, right? Because we're going to flash the leather. I'm going to pull the hose. I'm going to force the door. I'm going to throw the ladder because I'm a practitioner. That's what I do. Have a bunch of people ask you why in a specific scenario and then have to answer it. Because you've all, we've all met the guy who said, I just, just fucking do it. Just do that, right? And that's fine because that guy can rip and he can operate. But you have a bunch of people ask you why. And then you start explaining it to them or saying, uh, I'm going to get back to you and do your research. And then you learn yourself and then bring that back to them. The next person you teach that to, it'll be exponentially better. And the next person you teach that to will be better. And then they We'll go teach that. I mean, it's just, it's like a goddamn pyramid scheme. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's uh, the why, the question why has been the best thing for the fire service. And I'm sure every other industry as well, because it has sharpened the sword of the instructor to the point where they are laser focused. Well, and I think it, it can be the best thing if people can humble themselves and utilize it properly. But I think there's a lot of contention about, well, don't question why. 
I'm the boss. And it's like, look, you know, if you, I, I feel like it's a cop out. If you know the why you can easily explain. Now there's going to be a time where I, like I tell people is like, if we're in training, I want you to ask why on the fire ground. We're not asking why just do it. You're still tell, the boss. I'll the tell you ground. why later. I'll, I'll be happy. We'll decipher the whole thing afterwards. But when, there's a time and place for why. And I, but if you foster yeah. that environment where you're willing to allow them to ask why and you answer, they're not going to question it as much if at all on the fire ground. But if you just, just cause I said, look, these guys nowadays have grown up with Google in their pocket from when they were babies they can get the why today. I don't, I'm almost doing you a, a, a gratitude by even asking you why, because my phone will tell me why. And so you need to be able to answer that because if you don't, they're going to go look it up on Google and maybe they get a good answer or maybe they don't. Don't bullshit me either. Yeah. Cause, cause I'll you, go Google that shit. Exactly. So now it's, it, it has been a great tool, but you have to understand how to utilize it because it's a great vetting tool. But it's also, you know, it's going to keep you honest. And if you're not prepared to tell them why, they're going to Google it. And if they find out why from whatever fireman's putting out content, guess who they're following now? Not you. They're going to follow this guy because this guy is the why. And so now who? Now you've lost that ability to be their mentor because they're like, well, this guy's just telling me. He don't even know why he's doing it. Yeah, so, I totally agree. And like the the asking of why. I love, except for when it comes to fucking telestaff. K, quit asking. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Jesus. But, you know, you've been in the room when I've told our boss, you don't like that I want to go learn from this other guy. Well, why aren't you the one teaching me? Exactly. And I go, because I want knowledge. I'm, I, I know I don't know everything. And I'm and smart want, enough to decipher bullshit from real shit. Yeah, so I want knowledge. And I, here's my thing is if you're not giving me the knowledge, I'm looking for it somewhere else. So if you're mad that I want to go take a class by another instructor that maybe you don't like or whatever, it's only because I'm going to get the knowledge somewhere. And if you're not going to provide it, I'm going to get it somewhere else. If you don't like that, then start providing it. And that's the same goes down low is if I'm not providing knowledge to my people, they're going to find it somewhere else. And once you start finding it somewhere else, your opinion and your, you know, I guess, opinion of that person that you should be following is lessened because it's like, you're not giving it. You may have all the answers, but you're choosing to not give it to me. So I'm going to go to someone who will, and that's going to be the person that I'm going to look up to and follow because they're willing to share. We've all seen it. And, and you have, right. You have that individual who has the knowledge but they hoard it for some reason that it's like they're keeping this treasure for themselves because they want to have the answers or whatever their reason is. They want to have a leg up on people because they know more and they don't share that information or these are these new guys don't need to know this shit and they hoard this information and those guys turn you off. Right. And when you're coming up or you're trying to change or do something better and those guys turn you off and you're like, what the, what the fuck? Why would this guy act this way? Or you, step into that leadership role and you don't have those why answers. That's a very dangerous minefield to navigate for someone who wants to be a leader, who wants to move forward in their career. You better be ready to answer the why behind things. You better be ready not only to manage, to lead, to give orders and all these things that come along with moving up the chain. You better be ready to answer why, because if you can't, just like you said, the confidence in, in your leadership is going to be questioned. And that's something that you may spiral and never recover from. Yeah. I, I, 
you touched on people that hoard information. That was the name of the game when I was coming up. If you knew some shit that somebody else didn't know, you were the man. That's the worst fucking thing ever. That has been one of the axes that I've ground in my entire fire service career. If you have information that somebody doesn't have, give it to them. We're all doing this together. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely correct. Is Hoarding the information doesn't do anything except for really make you look like a dick. Because if we know you have it and you're not sharing it, it's like, what are you trying to get over on us? Why are you trying to, because it's a power play. It's like, I know more than you. Yeah, why are you trying to show me up? Yeah, but it's yeah. like, who? Like we should all know. Uh, cause that's going to make us better. We should all know because the citizens expect all of us right. to know. Yeah. Yeah. We all took an oath to, to know this. So why don't we all know, share this thing, get passed up. What, how cool would it be to, you know, teach somebody and then watch them pass you by, not pass you by. You said get passed up. I thought that was like a kind of a little personal dig. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> you know? Uh, shout out to you know Nick Garcia, my boy, Hell my brother. Yeah. You know, taught his academy and got to see him get promoted. You know, absolutely. Now I have to listen to this nerd. But anyway, <laughs> we're, we're an hour and a half in, boys. Yeah, we're an hour and a half in. We're gonna we're gonna call this John. This has been great. I think uh, everything that we've touched on has been incredible so far. Anything you want to add before we get out of here? No, appreciate you guys having me. I mean, people listening, like I said, just like we always say, it's okay to love the job. It's okay to nerd out on it. Um, but do that and then share what you learned. Um, it, it's a team sport. And if we are all sharing that knowledge, we all win together and we can all be, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be jealous of someone else's accomplishment. Like that good job they had the other day. I, I just had nothing but excitement for what they just got to do. And it's awesome. Instead of being like, well, I didn't get to go. It's like, get over yourself. We're a team. We had another win, share that information, enjoy the job have fun every day. And you know, like I like said, I've worked quite a few jobs and this job is the best job I've ever had. Well, thank you very much, John, for coming again. Uh, you're one of my, uh, one of the guys I look up to a mentor to me. Um, we've worked together for a long time, man, and I've loved every minute of it. So thank you. Yeah, me too. Thanks for your time, John. Before we get out of here real quick, I'd like to uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the Undisclosed Agents podcast. We'd all like to take a minute to thank the uh, podcast sponsors. Number one, Hobbit Leatherworks. If you haven't seen these guys, go check out Pete on Instagram at Hobbit Leatherworks. He's making the best front pieces, best helmet shields in the business, as well as all your other leather goods. And also, I'd like to thank Hortons and Hunt LLC for providing experience-based, high-quality training from the boots to the bugles. Check them out at hortonsandhunt.com. If you like what you heard today, please rate it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe to our podcast. And if you or you know someone who would be a great guest, please contact us at info at hortonsandhunt.com. Thank you. You should be a monster. <laughs>